You're listening to Comedy Central. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. May 9th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. from Orange is the New Black and the CBS show Superior Donuts. Diane Guerrero is here, everybody. But first, yesterday, President Trump announced that he was pulling America out of the Iran nuclear deal. And uh, not everyone in Iran is taking it well. The U.S. pullout from the nuclear deal is a devastating blow, and already we can see the hardliners maneuvering to take advantage of it. Conservative lawmakers this morning burned a paper U.S. flag in the parliament and chanted the familiar death to America. Uh, I'm not trying to tell you guys how to do your job, but it's a lot scarier if the flag actually catches fire. Like, you gotta die, America. Hold on, hold on. Die, America. Die, America. Like, I'd be worried about these guys making nukes when they're struggling to burn paper. I mean, <laughs> really? That's what I'd be doing? You know, you know who I feel bad for? The Parliament's fire marshal. He was probably so stressed. He was like, guys, I hate America just as much as you do, but can we move this to the parking lot? Please, please, please. <laughs> Now, this wasn't that surprising, because these guys are extreme in Iran's parliament. They're basically the Ted Cruz's of Iran, right? But the feeling towards Trump was coming from the very top, too, right? With Iran's supreme leader, Khamenei, stating, quote, this man will turn to dust, and his body will become food for snakes and ants. Yeah, which sounds like a harsh statement, but you realize that's gonna happen to all of us. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty slick move. You threaten people with the natural course of life. (laughs) One day you will stop breathing and your family members will cry over your dead body. (laughs) Yeah, that's a funeral. That's exactly what a funeral is. That's that's normal. (laughs) Moving on to other news. Every day, we learn more and more shady shit about Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. The latest is that just after the election, Michael Cohen's shell company was paid half a million dollars, and the money was linked to a Russian oligarch who's close to Putin. And uh, just as, as weird as that, Cohen's secret company was also getting huge sums of money from major corporations, 
Cohen's company also received payments from a number of corporations, including nearly $400,000 from a subsidiary of pharmaceutical company Novartis, $200,000 from AT&T, and $150,000 from Korea Aerospace Industries. AT&T told us that Essential Consulting was one of several firms that it used to provide insights into understanding the new administration. Really, AT&T? You paid $200,000 to Trump's lawyer to get insights into Trump? We all know that's bullshit. I mean, because if you really want insights into Trump, just read his tweets. There it is. It's free, 200,000, you owe me now. So Cohen got money from drug companies, from Korean plane companies, and AT&T. I mean, at least the drug company had the decency to try and make it look legit. Like, look at that amount. They spent a specific amount, right? It's so good, because everyone was like, 200,000, 150,000, they're like, 390 and A20. Yeah, it makes it seem like there was an actual reason for the payment, because when it's round numbers, you know it looks shady. Drug dealers are never like, hey, man, you want an eighth of weed? That'll be 59.99. <laughs> but let's move on. Yesterday was a big day in the midterm primary season, which is basically the elections before the election, between the elections. <laughs> Welcome to America, we like elections. <laughs> Now, there were three big Republican Senate primary uh, contests yesterday, Ohio, Indiana, and West Virginia, people's three favorite states to drive through to their favorite states. <laughs> 10 hours to Pennsylvania, yay! <laughs> but West Virginia was the race that everyone was watching. And from the news coverage last night, I can't actually tell you who won, but I can absolutely tell you who lost. Primary results are in for four states. West Virginia voters rejecting the race-baiting, conspiracy-laden candidacy of Don Blankenship. Convicted coal baron Don Blankenship came up short. West Virginia Republicans rejected Don Blankenship. Don Blankenship finished a distant third in the West Virginia Senate race. That's right, West Virginia. Meet your new Republican Senate nominee, not Don Blankenship. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> now... I'm not gonna lie, I thought it was a little weird for the TV news to be focusing on a candidate who came in third in a primary. But once you meet Don Blankenship, you understand that this guy might not be newsworthy, but he was definitely great TV. Politicians are running a lot of crazy ads. They blew up the coal mine and then put me in prison. Now they're running ads that say the coal mine blew up and I went to prison. There's no surprise there. Uh... Actually, I, I feel like that was a surprise. <laughs> uh, politicians don't usually run ads saying they went to prison <laughs> after they blew up coal mines. Which, side note, really happened. 29 people died, and Blankenship served a year in prison for it. And I'm willing to bet, with that bourbon and Xanax delivery, no one messed with him in the joint. You know, guys were just like, hey, man, what are you in for? He's like, the coal mine blew up, and I went to prison. There's no surprise there. <laughs> I'm like, damn, man, you loco, man. I'm just here for insider trading, man. And... And believe it or not, that's not even the reason Blankenship's Senate run blew up, right? It's actually for his completely original views on Mitch McConnell. One of my goals as U.S. Senator will be to ditch cocaine Mitch. When you vote for me, you're voting for the sake of the kids. Cocaine Mitch? <laughs> Are you serious? There's no way that Mitch McConnell is on cocaine. <laughs> I mean, it is fun to imagine that he is. Like, he's actually only 35 years old, but he parties so hard that he just looks like that now. 
would be fun. He's like, oh, do it again. Right. So Don Blankenship set himself up as the Trumpiest candidate that you can imagine, anti-establishment and definitely not PC, which is why he also ran an ad targeting Mitch McConnell's Chinese-American wife. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. China family? (laughs) You know, this is one of those things where I know I should be offended, but I'm extremely confused. Because China family, what, what, is, what is it? Like, China family sounds like how your racist uncle refers to fresh off the boat. It's like, change the station, I don't want to watch China family. <laughs> and, and the phrase China people was even weirder. What did that mean, these China people? Right, it's a weird phrase, which is why he got asked about it in the Republican primary debates. This idea that uh, calling somebody a China person, I mean, I'm an American person. I don't see this uh, insinuation by the press that there's something racist about saying a China person. Some people are Korean persons and some of them are African persons. It's not any slander there. Well, you know, um, as an Africa person and (laughs) as American persons, I think we can all agree that that's a bullshit person. racists would be mad about this. They'd be like, hey, man, we got words for this. We worked hard. You're ignoring our heritage. So, obviously, I don't need to tell you this. Mitch McConnell is not a fan of Don Blankenship, which is why, after he lost last night, McConnell dunked on him hard online. Post-election, McConnell firing back with this humorous tweet. McConnell reimagined as Pablo Escobar for the TV show Narcos with the message, thanks for playing, Don. Wow, Mitch McConnell <laughs> making jokes. That's amazing. It's, it is a bit weird that McConnell is so confident about it that he made himself Pablo Escobar, you know? Like, <laughs> like part of me thinks that maybe he is involved with cocaine now. <laughs> you know, like, now that it's over, he's like, okay, now that the heat's off, we gotta get back out on the corners, yo, and push that blow. Remember the price of that $58.94 so it doesn't look suspicious. <laughs> so, Don Blankenship came out of nowhere in the primary race and ended up nowhere afterwards. But even in defeat, this man was TV gold. It's time to concede, so we're conceding the election. Feel free to uh, hang around, you know, I already paid a big bill for y'all to be able to eat and pick your stuff and drink and occupy this room, so there's no reason to hurry out of here. So you stay as long as you want, and I'm staying upstairs, so I don't have to worry about a DUI or anything. But if I did get a DUI before midnight, they'd send me back to prison for 30 days, so I gotta be careful. (laughs) This guy, this guy just cannot stop reminding people that he went to prison. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for your support, and just remember, because of me, dozens of people died. Good night, everybody, good night. (laughs) But you know what, I, I don't blame him for wanting to hang around and celebrate, because you heard him, his parole ended at midnight. So he's a free man now. Or as Don Blankenship might say, they said I blew up the mine, and so I ran for Senate. Then they blew up my campaign. So now I'm done running for Senate. But I didn't get a DUI, so I'm free to do what I do best, blowing up coal mines. (laughs) We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. You know, it's it's a tough job being a police officer. You're overworked, you're underpaid, And sometimes it seems the only perk of your job is when everyone thinks you're there for their bachelorette party. (laughs) Oh, and of course, you get to have a gun. 
The problem is, it seems that today in America, cops are often too quick to use their firearms, which is a serious issue that we'll cover in our new segment, Cops Just Wanna Use Guns. Cops just wanna use guns. Oh, cops just wanna use guns. Our first brandishing buddy comes to us from Southern California in a misunderstanding brought to you by Mentos. An off-duty officer in Southern California is caught on camera pulling his gun on a convenience store customer who he mistakenly thought was stealing. This was all over a pack of Mentos that the customer had already paid for. The man says he tried to explain that he'd paid, but the officer didn't believe him until the convenience store actually had to say he paid for it. Wow. (laughs) This cop pulled a gun on a guy because he thought he was stealing Mentos. Now, here's my thing. Even if he was stealing them, that's not a reason to pull your gun. Like, maybe if the guy was stealing Mentos and Diet Coke, then yeah, that's... (laughs) That's a potential bomb threat. I get it. We know what you can do with that stuff. Yeah, that's dangerous. But not for Mentos alone. I mean, if this cop pulls out his gun for Mentos, he'll pull out his gun for anything. Even when he goes home after work, he's probably like, honey, what's for dinner? Whoa, 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 open the oven nice and slow. (laughs) Nice and slow. Put the meatloaf where I can see it. Now give me a kiss. No tongue, no tongue. (laughs) And also, if a guy's willing to go to jail for Mentos, I think that's pretty badass. In fact, it would make a great commercial. Like, the guys would be in jail like, hey, dude, what are you in for? Be like, I blew up a mine. What are you in for? (laughs) Me? I'm in for Mentos. The Fresh Maker. (laughs) Now, fortunately, in that instance, no one was hurt. But if you're a groundhog who encounters a cop, your story might not end so well. Well, some people in Maryland are upset a police officer shot a groundhog that was apparently trying to block traffic. Yeah, video shows that animal running toward the deputy, which made the deputy think that animal was dangerous. The sheriff's office declined to comment on camera, but sent us a statement explaining the deputy saw traffic stopped on Liberty at White Rock Road, investigated and found the groundhog blocking traffic. Quote, he realized that it was not responding as expected for an animal that was not being cornered or trapped. Get the out of here, man. Are you being serious? First of all, white people are calling the cops on groundhogs now? Like, what's next, sunsets? Officer, please help, it's getting so dark everywhere. And also this poor groundhog. He was just two weeks from retirement. And now the worst thing is they they shot him and they're acting like it was his fault. Yeah, attacking his reputation. He was not responding as expected for an animal. Oh, I didn't realize there was some sort of police groundhog protocol. Like, what, is he supposed to put his hands up? He doesn't have hands! And you can tell the poor little groundhog had no idea what was going on. Like, the cop is on one side, then he's on the other side. I wouldn't be shocked if the cop was giving confusing directions. Like, get out of the road! Don't move! Don't move! Get on the ground! He's like, I am on the ground! I'm a groundhog! I hug the ground! That's what I do! I hug the ground! The news is making the groundhog seem like the bad guy. Oh, he was trying to block the trap. Next, the news will be pulling up that groundhog's Facebook, finding every picture where he looks like a thug. I know how this goes. (laughs) And in response to this incident, the National Association of Groundhogs just released a statement saying, if this is how humans want to play it, fine. We're bringing back six more weeks of winter, bitches. (laughs) Well, that's all we got time for. Stay tuned for next edition of Because Cops Just Want to Use Guns. We'll be right back.
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take the dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an activist, author of the book In the Country We Love, and an actor who can currently be seen in the CBS series Superior Donuts. Please welcome Diane Guerrero. Thank you for having me. Huge fan of yours from Orange is the New Black, and now you've gone on to do other great things. You're on uh, Superior Donuts now as well. You're on uh, Jane the Virgin. Do you ever sometimes confuse the characters because, like, sometimes you'll be moving between shows? Like, will you say a line, like, as Lena, like, but it's supposed to be a Maritza line? Will you ever do that? Like, <laughs> just be, like, hardcore in Superior Donuts, and people are like, uh, you're not in prison. What are you doing? Yeah, I, I try to be hardcore in everything that I do. Oh, you just like, keep it consistent? I just keep it very consistent. Oh, I like that. I that's, try to be hardcore in That's, like, a weird role to take with you. It's just like, yes, this is a kid's show, and I'm local. That's I know, what I am. I know. People actually, they try to, like, kind of, like, tone me down. Right, right, right. Yeah. You, 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 you uh, play many different characters, uh, but a lot of people know you from Orange is the New Black. Yeah. A, a character that in many ways, I guess, gave us a different insight into why someone would be in prison. Did many people connect to that character and her storyline? Yeah, it was, it was actually really great. I mean, I, when I first, you know, I signed on for the role, I was like, great, a uh, Latina woman in prison. I, that's, this is uh, far from what people expect from me. Right. Um, but as, as I got into it and how I saw people respond to it, it was, um, it was really, it was very real. And the stories that we got to tell were real. And, um, you know, I guess knowing what I know about myself now as the person who I am now, it's very fitting that that was my first break. Right. Um, to tell these kinds of stories. And do you think it makes a big difference to tell the stories that go beyond what we think of people? Because as you say, when you know more about the person, you see them as a human being. Is that, is that really important to you? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what I've tried to do my entire life is to have people see me as human. Right. Um, and with the stories that I tell, with my own life, with my, you know, telling stories of my community, it's, it's just humanizing my story. Right, and, and I think that's something you did amazingly in, in your memoir that you wrote in 2016. Like, you, you wrote a, a fascinating account of your story, and, and it's the book we have here, in, in the Country We Love, My Family Divided. Yes. And you tell a story of being a young American child who has two parents who are undocumented and they get deported. And you were 14 years old at the yes. time? How do you even begin to process the world when your parents have been taken away from you? Like, wh where do you begin in your mind? 
Um, well, it was something that I always had to live with. I mean, I lived with the fear of losing my family, of being separated. My family was very, was brutally honest with me. I mean, I was like five years old and they were, you know, telling me, look, this is what's going to happen. You know, right. you know I, I was like smoking a cigarette at five years old. I get it, Dad. <laughs> this is happening. Yeah, I know where the money is. Right. Um, not much money. <laughs> um, so I was always sort of preparing for this day and... Um, hoping that it wouldn't happen, hoping right. that things would change, hoping that my parents would find a path for citizenship, but that day never came. Um, so when it happened, I just had to buck up, really. I just had to uh, take the words that, that my parents have had uh, left with me, and they told me to be strong and to continue following my dreams and, and living my life for me, and that's what right. I did. You, 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 you shared in the book, and honestly, it, it's heart-wrenching when it happens because you tell the story of this young girl at the time who is living in a world where people don't seem to think about the ramifications of what happens. We, we have these discussions. We see people saying, well, take the kids away. I mean, you know, uh, Jeff Sessions just announced that they were, that's what they're going to be doing at the border, separating parents from the kids. Yeah. And people just say it like it's an arbitrary thing, but you were someone who was separated from your parents. Do you, like, is there a way you wish it would be different? Is there, is there something you wish they could do to try and change the way it is? Yeah. Not separate families, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And I, I guess. No, I, I know. No, no, and I, and I yeah. guess, and I guess what I'm saying to that is uh, because it, it is obvious. But I, I think what got me was how you had to live without them. That right. was the thing because people weren't checking up on you, and that's that's what you talk about right. in the book. Right. No, people don't understand what separation of family really looks like, and that's what I try to recount in my story. I just try to say, okay, um, there are huge consequences to separating families, not just for people who are undocumented, who um, apparently this country does not care about, but for U.S. citizens as well. Right. Um, and for me, I, I mean, it, it sort of felt, or it absolutely was, that, that I, my life was not counted as fully citizen, right. I suppose, because my parents were undocumented. And uh, we went through serious hardships, and many children uh, get left behind the way I did. And I was able to have a big imagination and, and continue my father's words to continue on living on my dream and working hard. And I mean, I really, t believe me, I, I would eat the American dream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'd be like, yeah, this is what I'm doing, you know, is kind of um, bootstraps and all, right, um, right, really right. not understanding what the immigration system looked like, trying to figure out a way for myself, um, knowing that if I continue to work hard, if I was resourceful, that I was going to make it. But that's not the case for everyone. And for most kids, it's, it's not a happy ending. Um, and I think that with my book, I just try to show my community in a different light. You know, 2016 was really tough for me. I, I'd never shared my story before. Right. And when I heard my community attacked, it was, it was mind-blowing because, I mean, I've always heard uh, undocumented uh, people be dehumanized and criminalized, but not in this way. And, right. Um, as I came to my own and I came to understand my truth and accept my truth, I was like, this is something that I cannot let go, and I can't let people talk like this about my community because I know the strength and the love that my community has, um, and and I, I know this because I lived it. You lived it. Yes. You shared it. Um, your parents are really proud of you, and you write about that in the book, which is beautiful. Yeah. Um, thank you for being with us on the show and sharing your story again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The season finale of Superior Donuts will air May 14th on CBS. My Family Divided will be available on July 17th, and in The Country We Love is available now. Thank you, everybody.
The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.